Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 27 to 30. It's a very short gospel, but within it, it contains a great deal that I think is helpful to us, both in our reflections and in our spiritual life, and in our grasp and appreciation of the Word of God. And the gospel begins with Jesus speaking to the disciples, and he goes back, and in this speaking to the disciples, he goes back and pulls the image of the Good Shepherd back into the present again. The sheep that belong to me listen to my voice, he said. Now this is, this, first of all, to belong to Christ means that we do listen to Jesus. And this is really disconcerting in many, many sorts of ways. Because there are many who identify them with, with the people of God, with the disciples of the Lord, who in some ways don't, um, don't accept what he says and uh, think that, you know, since we're more sophisticated than uh, anyone has ever been before, that we kind of have a right to re- reinterpret the Lord, uh, contrary to what he intended. And to dismiss, I can't get off my mind that there is a leading Catholic theologian in the West who says that we don't have to listen to Jesus on the idea of divorce because it's, um, it's too harsh. And so we can back away from that. Well, I'm not sure that we can. I'm not sure that we're supposed to. I'm not sure that the directness and the... Uh, the forthrightness of Jesus in these things is not speaking to a humanity for all the ages. We certainly know that our society is is socially more complex probably than it's ever been before. Um, we, we, we have a very hard time with strict separations of groups of people and so forth, and especially in this day and age, when, when there is the movement to say, well, you know, diversity is that mixing things up is, is the best possible of all things. Um, and whether that's true or whether that's not true is irrelevant, but the fact of the matter is, is that that's the world we live in. So can we then state, can we then hear the voice of the Lord in the modern world, or must we filter it through our own behavioral norms and our own sociological situations? I think that certainly we have to interpret it in every age, but without losing the sense of what was said in the first place. There's a great example of that in St. Vincent of Lorraine, um, in, in the, I think in the 4th century, um, or the 6th century, I believe, when he lays out a, a plan for the, uh, for the interpretation of, of Scripture, for the development of doctrine. Um, and in that, he says, you know, we do have to adjust and adapt doctrine to every age that we live in, but we cannot lose the base. We can't lose the meaning that is there intentionally in the beginning. And so I think that uh, I think that certainly in the Catholic Church, as far as divorce is concerned, um, we've faced the fact that some marriages are just not sustainable and not tenable and probably never should have happened in the first place. 
And so we, we apply then the juridical process of annulment to those marriages. That's an adaptation. That's not denying the, the, the permanency of marriage. And, and that's not denying uh, what Jesus says about divorce. What it is saying is, is that not all marriages are what they seem to be. And many of them really are not real marriages at all. And that in the light of the teaching of the church and the understanding of the sacrament of matrimony. And so we can, we can absolve those weddings um, because they truly are not marriages of sorts. There's a great deal of concern with some people. Does that mean my children are illegitimate? No, you're legally married, um, but you're not sacramentally married in the church. And that means, you know, that in that that's why you have to have a divorce before you can apply for an annulment. Um, and so, basically, then, um, what the church has done is, over the centuries, has adapted itself to many of the modern and contemporary issues that that surround us. We certainly now get into a more complicated thing when we get into all the LGBTQT stuff. Um, but that's beyond, uh, that's beyond the pale of this gospel, certainly. But the idea somehow that the sheep that belong to me listen to my voice, what about, what about the, the great theologians who do not listen to the voice of the Lord, who, uh, as this one who says we don't have to pay attention to what Jesus says because it's too harsh, um, those, that's problematic. And it's problematic, certainly we know in the German Synod today, that, you know, since there were flaws in the old system, we have to create a new one from scratch. And, you know, that comes from a certain, from a certain, it's a complicated historical phenomenon. Because during the First World War, one of the horrifying things for us is not just the millions and millions of people that were killed, but that every combatant, with the exception of the Ottoman Empire, were Christians. And that there therefore became a lack of confidence and trust in Christianity to kind of guide and, and help the human spirit to navigate the difficult and contentious times of their age. And then when the Second World War came, once again, certainly the European War, the, the, the Nazis very deliberately um, left Christianity and took up, you know, a religion of the occult in certain ways. Um, and so it was not quite so devastating. But nevertheless, the mainline churches, uh, including our own, were unable to prevent both the, the killing of the Jews and, and the Slavs and the homosexuals and the physically uh, disabled and so forth. And, and was unable to prevent a ghastly war taking place on the continent. And so there is then, in Central Europe especially, in Germany, a sense of mistrust and a sense of suspicion about the, the, the Catholic Church. Um, and with this loss of confidence in its ability to really change the world in such a way as it should change the world, they have then kind of accrued unto themselves, you know, we can do it better than the Lord. 
And, and I think that there's another thing that, that we, we can think of, too, and that is the Church did disappoint in the First World War and in the Second World War. The great Catholic power in the First World War, Austria-Hungary, under Emperor Karl I, um, tried very hard to broker a peace and, and all turned on him as a traitor, called him a traitor. Um, because there was no desire for peace. And how can a whole conglomerate of Christian nations have no desire for peace? Um, some of it is propaganda, some of it is brainwashing, some of it is indoctrination, all of that kind of thing. But still, it's in the minds of people that, that they, we should have been able to stop it. Um, on the other hand, you know, Peter tried to stop Jesus. Um, from suffering and dying and going through a violent end. And Jesus turned on him. The world crucified Jesus because they were disappointed in him, because he did not fulfill the messianic expectation. And so too are many of the peoples, therefore, who experienced both world wars directly. Many of them also were disappointed in the, in the church because it was not a messianic church after all. It was a church of the here and the now. It was a church of the earth. It was a church of every single human person who belonged to it. And, uh, and therefore, it, it, was, it was fault. It was filled with faults and with failures, exactly as it is today. Many people leave the church because they're disappointed in the church, because it has not been that ancient messianic fulfillment of the messianic promise. Um, but that's the same reason that they, they killed Jesus, because he didn't meet their expectations as a messianic healer of all wounds and and the one who eliminates all evil in the world. Um, so there is a very, there's a comparison between the suffering of the church in the modern age and the, uh, and the disappointment, the suffering of Jesus in the first century. For just as the world turned on him because he was not what they wanted him to be, so the world has turned on the church because it did not turn out to be what they wanted it to be. So, the sheep that belong to me listen to my voice. You cut through all of that. You cut through all of that stuff. And, uh, and, and we listen, we follow the word of the Lord. We, we don't do it in necessarily in a mean and aggressive sort of way. But we also are not swayed by the John Spongs and the German synods of our age and of our world. For the Lord is still Lord, and his word is still the word. And uh, in this being the case, then we listen to the Lord, and that means we belong to him. I know them, and they follow me. Those of us who allow ourselves to be known by the Lord in, in a cooperative sort of way where we open our hearts and our souls to the Lord, um, yeah, we do follow him and we do listen to his word and we do take it seriously and we do understand the ambiguities and we do understand the problematic of it all. But we also know that God is God and his words are not to become dismissed because they don't meet the human sociological and political standards of today. I give them eternal life and they will never be lost. If we follow the Lord, if we in fact are attentive, attentive to, uh, to his word and if we are faithful to his church and to his sacraments, then they will never be lost. I will give them eternal life. 
and no one will ever steal them from me. The stealer of souls is, of course, the devil, and the stealer of souls is clever, and the stealer of souls is very active in the world and always has been very active in the world. Plays on all of our weaknesses. Are we insecure? Then they make us feel unworthy of, of God's love and unworthy of, of, of other human beings' love. It makes us then, therefore, a kind of a, a, a sad and depressed human person because... Uh, because we, we, we can't keep up with, with our neighbors. We can't somehow or other feel accepted and loved even by God. That's a trick of the devil. And that's the way to keep us separated from Christ. Oh Lord, I am not worthy. Yeah, we're not worthy. But we are loved nonetheless. And so it doesn't mean that we have to reach perfection in order for ourselves to be loved by God and to be included among his people. As a matter of fact, the whole presumption of purgatory is a presumption that we are, generally speaking, imperfect people who must go through kind of a final healing of the wounds of sin, the final healing of the brokenness of our person before we are absolutely and completely taken into the person of Christ in the everlasting kingdom. So, yeah, the devil also uses in many things. I can't do this when maybe we could. Or uh, the devil also affects in many ways stealing the, stealing the people from God um, only if we don't listen to his voice. Only if we become like Catholics for free choice or something like that. When, when in fact, you know, you take away the word of God from the soul, the heart of the people, and in, in so doing, you basically reject the Lord Jesus for who he is and reconstruct him for who we want him to be. Um, that's exactly what Peter tried to do when Jesus turned on him, and that's why he said, Be gone, Satan. Um, because this is Satan's ploy. Oh, no, 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 it shouldn't be like this. It should be like this. And uh, convicted as we become that it should become like this, then it leads us into disobedience to the Lord, into closing down our openness to his word and to his presence. It's extremely difficult and extremely complicated. But the flaws within ourselves that we nurture, that we do not heal, allow to heal, do we not seek healing for them, are the very playground where the, dark, the powers of darkness play with our minds, with our hearts, and with our souls. We ought to be very careful of that, and we ought to always re reaffirm the fact that we accept God's love in our lives. And while we may not be worthy of that love, we have it nonetheless, and that we should live with it as best we can. Then Jesus says, the Father who gave them, who gave the sheep to me, um, is greater than anyone. And this becomes, you know, a problematic text because before it said greater than anyone, it ceased to say greater than I. Um, and that, that then challenged our understanding of the Trinity. So the translation then became anyone. Um, and, and the Father is greater than anyone. Uh, St. Bonaventure says the Father is, has priority over the Son because of the Father is origin, and origin has priority over emanation. Um, but it doesn't mean that they are not equal, and it doesn't mean that the Son is not the perfect image of the Father, and that the Son is not an emanation of the Father, and that the Son is not therefore. In fact, as I saw a famous painting, not, uh, not a famous painting, but a painting not so long ago, 
of, uh, of the Trinity, and it shows two identical men with, uh, with the dove between them. And, uh, and, and that's kind of a, I mean, it, it gets the point, yeah, the Son is the perfect image of the Father. It's just kind of, you know, not quite sure what to make of that, I guess. But it does make a point, and it is kind of, therefore, a valuable glimpse as we ponder this relationship between the Father and the Son. For the Father, as the argument goes, the Father cannot love any anyone um, completely that is is not a reflection of himself, for he is perfection, and he is love. God is love, John says. And so the perfect emanation of Christ is of, of the Father is the Son. And it is the Son, therefore, who emanates creation, who puts us in that kind of same relation, not same, but in that relationship with him that he has with the Father. That our goal, therefore, through the sacraments of the Church, is to become joined with him as one, as he is joined with the Father as one. And it's in him, in that joining in him, um, that that we speak of eternal life, um, we we have a tendency, I suppose, to think of it as a as a great uh, summer festival or something, um, with everybody we ever knew and liked there, and the people we didn't like not there. Um, that's not really kind of doesn't really fit in with the scriptural understanding of paradise or the scriptural understanding of eternal life or the kingdom of God. So therefore, what, 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 what Jesus is saying in this gospel, I have these sheep because the Father gave them to me. And we see this again in John, in the, in the chapter, that as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So there is this symbiotic relationship between the church, the disciples, and Jesus. And that it is our, it is our task, therefore, there, there's a great distinction, I think, and I, um, Dr. John Haas made this uh, distinction at the uh, at uh, a, a gathering at St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in in uh, Philadelphia. And uh, there is a difference between the value and the worthiness of the office and the worthiness of the person who holds the office. And so here too, our office is discipleship. Our worthiness—that's the challenge of the Christian life. And he said that in relationship, of course, to, to, to the clergy. But while we, have, while we have the priesthood of Jesus Christ, and that is in and of itself, therefore, um, a sense of perfection, we are challenged to grow into that perfection and to grow into conformity with the office that we hold. And it's the same way with married couples, you know. Their marriage has to begin to reflect the ideal of the sacrament of marriage as the years go on. That's their task. That's how they live their Christian life. So that, so that we have this then, um, no one can steal them from the Father. So the Father has given us the strength and the grace and the so forth to be able to listen to the voice of the Lord, listen to be able to listen enough and care enough to be able to follow him, to get over our own human pride, our own human disappointment, our human, all human expectations, and let God lead time into its ultimate destiny and, 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 not, um, and not in any way... Um, keep us from, um, 
keep us in any way from drifting away, being stolen, being stolen through Satan playing with our weaknesses and uh, destroying within us the confidence of God's love for us. And then he said, no one can steal them from the Father, for the Father and I are one. And here we come into the great Trinitarian mystery. And it's an important mystery, and it's one that we have to... I know uh, one time I read a, a hierarch of the Church saying, you know, I don't know why we have to have the Trinity. You know, it's just too complicated. And, um, and because if you don't have the Trinity, basically what happens is you end up an Arian. You, you, end, up, uh, you, you end up the person who, um, who uh, doesn't believe in the divinity of Christ. And, uh, and this was a great crisis in, in, uh, in the church um, and in the world. Because uh, from the days of Nicaea on, the Council of Nicaea in 325 on, until the, uh, until the baptism of Clovis uh, around 500, so that's about 200 years, the dominant form of Christianity north of the Rhine and the Danube, or west of the, east of the Rhine and north of the Danube, um, was, uh, was Arianism. And Arianism was a heresy that was brought up at the Council of Nicaea. St. Athanasius fought, great, fought boldly against it in triumph. So that, but basically what Arius was saying is that, that Jesus is not God. That in, in a way, I, I like to compare it in a way to our modern idea of Superman. You know, he comes from somewhere else. He's got a superpower. He's able to leap tall buildings in a single bound and everything. But but he's still he's he's still human in some way shape or form, and uh, and that's it, and it, without being a god, and uh, and that's kind of what Arianism is. It's kind of the religion of a Superman, um, of someone who has all sorts of extraordinary powers and all sorts of closeness to the to God Himself, but Himself is not God, and that's exactly where we get when we deny the Trinity, when we say the Trinity is irrelevant. If the Trinity is irrelevant, then who is Jesus? Um, we, we, can't, we can't get back to the divinity of Jesus without the Trinity. And so, so that's why when Jesus says, the Father and I are one, it's a Trinitarian proclamation that we have an opportunity to look into. It's an interesting and an important kind of, of observation and insight, because what it does is it tells us something about our own destiny, and it tells us something about, you know, when, when Protestantism came along in the Reformation, they took all of Catholic theology, and instead of doing it as a, as a church, as an ecclesial, as a communal theology, they did it individually. And they applied it all only to the individual and not to the church, not to the community. And the result of it was, of course, is that they got themselves into all sorts of issues with predestination and, and all of that kind of thing. And they said, well, Augustine says we're, we're, we're predestined. Paul says we're predestined. Yes, we are. But we're predestined in this particular way. When Jesus and us are one, then we share his predestination to eternal to eternal life and to eternal life in and with the Father. So our predestination is not personal. Our predestination comes from our adherence to the Church and our inclusion into the body of Christ through the sacramental life of the Church. 
and and yet you 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 take that away and 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 then what you have is kind of a foreign god who kind of zaps us to save us and all of this kind of thing which is kind of um, not very helpful and not very hopeful very honestly which is the reason why many of the mainline protestant dimension uh denominations actually have have drifted away from their original theological positions and for many of them have have turned more toward uh, the contemporary thought and 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 uh, sociology and so forth and i'm not saying all of them have and i'm not saying all of them all of them will but i'm saying it is a trend and it is a noticeable and a discernible trend within the society in which we live if the father and i are one jesus says and then he says as the father has sent me i send you then us and jesus are one this is the whole meaning of the eucharist and so basically in some ways this little short gospel about the sheep belonging to him and following him and listening to his voice and that the father's role in that in our salvation and the father's grasp on those who turn to him um and then Jesus says the father and I are one is a very complicated um gospel and not complicated but intricate i think we should say for he goes he goes from from us back to the father in the course of this little short paragraph of the gospel and in going back to the father then he reveals to us the relationship that he also will have with us if he is the perfect image of the father because the father emanated him then he emanated us as well and we are called to become the perfect image of the christ that's what baptism and eucharist and reconciliation and so forth are all about that's what the sacraments are all about to interiorly reconstruct our our souls to where we as human persons are as reflective of the incarnate christ as it humanly possible to be and in so doing become one with him for where we are then he be, he is there as well um and and how we how we uh, witness to him and how we explain him with our lives becomes extremely important in our own eternal salvation but it is in and i i think again of that the great line of saint claude colombier um saying you know that we should cling so closely to jesus christ and this means in our behavior and our desire and every way listening to his word following him and so forth we should cling so tightly to jesus christ that were he to send us to hell he would be obliged to accompany us um there's a certainly a twist of humor in claude's understanding of that but think about it it's uh if we are that close if we are that incorporated into the christ then no one can steal us from him foundations in faith is a production of listener supported st gabriel catholic radio am820 archives of foundations in faith are available at stgabrielradio.com So